Um, all right, so we are asking this question in this series. <clears throat> the series is called Next Time Will Be Better. Um, but we're asking the question, how do I ensure that next time will be better than the last time? And it doesn't matter whether it's in your career, whether it's academically, morally, relationally, what, whatever it may be, um, how can next time be better than the last time? Especially because last time blew up in my face, right? Last time was bad, and last time didn't work out. And so um, just, a, just a disclaimer today, I stole, I stole this whole series from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a big church pastor uh, out in Atlanta. But I was listening, this is how I kind of grow and, and uh, look at scripture and, and that kind of thing is I'll listen to podcasts, watch video podcasts, that kind of thing. And I was on my way to Texas, and I heard this, this series, and I thought, man, this is, this is a good series for our church to learn. So I've changed it, made it for us, okay? Um, but we'll just give credit to him so I don't have to be like, this is his, this is mine. This is. Okay, so last week we looked at three myths, three myths um, that... We kind of just assume are true and take on as true, but they are very false. The first one is the experience myth. Experience makes me wiser. Experience makes me wiser. Well, that is false. It does not make you wiser. It makes you older, tired, poorer, lonelier, but it does not make you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. And then we looked at the no better myth. Since I know better, I'll do better, right? But knowing better doesn't equal the strength or the ability or the power or the self-control to do better. Unless you make changes in your life before the next time, you're going to continue the cycle, even though you do know better. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves. What must I do better the next, before the next situation so I can actually do better. What must I do before the next situation so I can actually do better? And then the big one uh, that we talked about is the time myth. Time is against me. The clock is ticking. I'm not getting any younger. All the other people my age, I've, I'm behind, right? I need to catch up. I need to move fast and get back in it. All of these things. This is the most destructive myth that we can believe of the three because it is actually absolutely false. Time is your friend. Time is your friend. No matter what the situation, time is your friend. Now, <clears throat> last week we talked about how all of your mistakes have one thing in common. Does anybody remember what that is for those of you that were here? You. That's right. You are the common denominator. I am the common denominator in all of... I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, this is the common you. Uh, <clears throat> now, before we get started, um, I want to ask you guys to trust me in something. Um, Millie, can I have your phone? You didn't bring a phone? Laura, can I have your phone? Anybody want to hand me... Grant, you got a phone? Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. Give me one more, one more. Leave. I can't do it with you because, all right. Here we go. Okay. All right, I'm going to move them around. I don't know whose is whose. Okay. Whose phone is this? Okay. What do you have in here? I, 
give you $100 for this phone, the password, and everything in it. <laughs> you know, this illustration blew up in my face in the last service, too. And, I, and I, as I was going through rehearsal of, of, all, of my message, I was like, oh, this is great, this is great. And then the first service was like, this is not working out at all. 25 bucks. <laughs> I'll give it back to you then. All right, whose phone is this one here? Big G. All right. Grant, what do you got on here? A lot of stuff. You got contact. What, do you, what, what could you possibly have on here? You got, you got games? Yeah? You got contact list? Oh, phone numbers. Is that what you said? Phone numbers? Phone numbers of the ladies? Huh? That's good. Oh man, it's telling it's telling me to try again because he's got that uh, that that palm reader thing, man. All right, so so Grant, I will give you what is this? An iPhone 5s, hundred bucks, hundred bucks for the 5s, everything on it, and the password. Well, you got to change the the fingerprint. No deal. No dealing. Okay. All right. All right, who we got here? Who's this? It's Laura's. Laura, you probably got a lot on here, huh? You're a busy girl. You, you do a lot. You got a bunch of wedding stuff on here? It's mm, only Okay, okay. What is this? Is this? Oh, this is just the poor five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a four, is it a four or a four S? And, and uh, ever since I updated last time, it's like, oh, I'm coming, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm like, oh. All right, uh, well, since it's the, just the five, I give you $32.50. for the phone, everything on it, and the password. <laughs> all right so here's the thing your phone has your life on it right i mean grant how old are you you're 14 years old and grant's already got his entire life on his phone right 14 years of stuff right and so <clears throat> the thing is we're going to talk about uh the first part of ensuring next time will be better than the last time today, and that is owning your mistakes. We're going to talk about owning it. You have to own your role in your negative history. Um, and so in order to make sure your past isn't a repeat in the future, you have to stop and pause long enough to own your part of the fault. Now, this is hard. This is a tough message for anybody. Um, as I was making it, I was cringing, right? Um, and the thing is, you're more than willing to own your phone, right? With your entire life on it, right? And for, for some of you, you're like, I don't want a pastor to see my, what I got on my phone. Not because there's sin, it's just, I don't want that. That's weird, you know? But the reason we will own it is because it's our life. But when it comes to real life, we don't want to own our faults. Now, here's the reason why it's not your fault, right? It was their fault, right? It wasn't, it wasn't you. I mean, she's the one who's, who left. He was 
the one who was addicted. Nobody can work for that guy. That teacher was so unfair, right? How was I supposed to know the economy would crash, right? It's never your fault. Nobody wants to tell a story about how I screwed up, right? Oh, no, listen, listen. Let me tell you the story. And the story is I was the victim, right? We all want to keep our trash hidden and kind of show that right angle of ourselves, right? The, the good side where the nose isn't crooked or whatever it is the models do, right? But your best bet for a successful future is to own your share of the past. And so here's the thing. And we've looked at this story a hundred times. We're going to look at it again from a different angle. But it's so amazing how God just makes things jump out at you when you read a story for the hundredth time. It is in us to blame other people. It's there, but it doesn't get us anywhere. And we get it from Adam and Eve, the very first people. Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 15 through 18. And we're going to jump over to chapter 3 here in just a minute. It says, The Lord took the man, Adam, uh, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? Whoa. Okay. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay. So we got the context, the environment. In the Garden of Eden, there was one rule. One rule. Don't eat from this tree. The knowledge of good, don't eat from it, right? Not ten commandments, not a hundred commandments, not a book of laws. One rule. Why the one rule? Because it establishes God as boss. It says, I am in charge. Not even a hard rule. Just don't eat from the tree. So Adam and Eve go and do what we all did when we were kids. We were told not to do something. They went to the tree, right? So jump over to... Chapter 3, verse 7, 7 through and following, I don't know. Uh, Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open because they they ate, right? They ate from the tree. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which I always think is really funny and amazing. It must have been like New Orleans, right? It's like, it's hot. I'll go out in the morning, right? In the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this is what happens next. They hid from God in his garden. (laughs) Does that make sense, right? It's not smart. It's his garden. But when when you do something wrong, you end up doing unsmart things. When we do something wrong, we hide. We hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide from the people around us. We hide from the guilt and the shame that we feel. And we hide in the most obvious places, right? It's God's garden, you know, and it's like, uh, I'm hiding. And so when we get caught, we say, I'm sorry. But then nobody believes us because we've been in this behavior for so long and we got caught. And that's the only reason we're saying we're sorry. And everybody knows it. But we're hiding. But what we're really hiding from is ourselves or some behavior, right? Now, again, everybody needs to understand, I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm talking to me, 
but I'm talking to you, right? So, Because everybody, like I said last week, everybody's got something in their lives where they're coming back to it. And the next time's going to be better, and oh, next time was awful. Next time's going to be better. Oh, next time's going to be, oh. You know, it's just this repeating cycle. We've all got something. I've got it, you've got it. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is an amazing verse. Adam and Eve screw up royally. One rule, huge garden. Eat from anything. Don't eat from the tree. They eat from the tree. They mess up the one rule. And what does God do? He goes looking for them. He goes looking for them. God, no matter, no matter whether you know the Lord or not, God is looking for you. If you don't know Jesus, he's looking for you. He wants that relationship with you. If you do know Jesus, but you're stuck in that sin, you're stuck in that constant mistake, he's looking for you to give that to him and to follow him and to say, listen, I will guide you if you will just follow me. That's what he is doing. He's not wanting to put you over his knee. He wants to show you how much he loves you, but it involves a lot of trust. And you have to trust him in order to follow him. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Okay, so this reminds me of those of those cop shows where they're where they're the they got the perpetrator right and the guy and they're all in the room and with the one-way mirror and the guy says i i didn't shoot her and then the cop looks back and he goes who said she was shot you know and then all of a sudden you're like oh no this is what happens with adam here right <laughs> he says he says god says who told you you were naked and you can just see adam go oh i gave it up you know i just gave myself away Here's the thing. He, he, was, he was hiding, right? He felt that shame, and he hid, and then he gave himself away. Verse 12, it says, The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, I think this is more the way that he said it. Verse 12, the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it, right? So the very first thing the first two people on earth do after the very first sin and they get caught is blame somebody else. They turn the blame. The man said, you know, you're the one that gave me the woman, God. I mean, I mean I, I'm missing a rib because of this, and, and I didn't ask for it. You just saw that I needed it. She's the one that did it. This is your fault. This is her fault. Right? I mean, how, whoa, arrogant. But let's be honest. How often do we do this, right? It's like, we're in a bad situation. What's going on, God? I don't know, why are you doing this to me, you know? We do it too. I do it. And so he blames the woman and he blames God. And here's the thing. It was true what he was saying. It just wasn't the whole truth. He wasn't including his role. And we all want to tell that story that's mostly true. But we just don't want to tell the whole truth. Uh, here's the side that makes me look good, right? Not the side that makes me look incredibly wrong or so incredibly embarrassing, right? The whole story is there, but we hide from it. 
And so here's the thing. If you don't own your part in your history, you will lay the groundwork in undermining your future. That's tough. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate, right? So she's being thrown under the bus and then she's just trying to like, if she's going under, she's taking the snake with her, but she's just trying to throw the snake under and ah, passing it off. Not my fault. And that was true. Just not the whole truth. Oh, by the way, I kind of ate the apple myself. It wasn't force-fed to me, right? If you don't pause in whatever situation you're in and take responsibility for your own past, you're going to drag it with you into the future. And ultimately, it's going to undermine your own happiness, your own joy, right? You cannot blame your way into a better future. You can blame your way into the future, but you cannot blame your way into a better future. Now, here's what we tend to believe. We tend to believe this statement. If I just get out of this one, the next time, the next situation, I'll do better. It'll be different. If I just get out of this one, then, then, then the next time it'll be better. I'll make myself look good in the right angle and, and not just share the whole truth, but the next time I will. The problem with that is that it's false. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. Because the reality is when a similar situation comes up, we revert back to the same behavior. And we think, well, I got out of it last time like this. But blame, here's the thing, blame enables you to smuggle your bad habits. It enables you to smuggle the mommy and daddy issues. It enables you to smuggle your addictions, your dysfunction, your poor relationship skills, the poor decision skills. And it's deadly. And that's why we can't do it. So here's the question that we really have to ask. And it's a tough question. And it's simple. What was my part in the problem? What was my part in the problem? And you have to answer that. And you have to own it. Because blame will set us up for a repeat performance. Owning your part of the past, it takes, you know when you get involved in something and it goes bad and you're just like, Wah! you know, you're maybe angry or sad and crying or whatever it is, but your emotions are just sky high. The temperature of your emotions are just, you can't think clearly, right? Every, we talked about it a little bit last week. And as you own your part of the problem, your temperature is going to fall. The temperature on your emotions is going to fall. And as it falls, you're going to gain clarity. You cannot make great decisions about your future without clarity. You can't. It's impossible. And so as long as you're blaming and hiding and smuggling, and the, the energy and the tension and the, and the temperature is going to stay high. But when you start to make these decisions to own your part of the problem, it's going to drop that temperature. And here's, here's the thing. It's going to give you clarity. Jesus said something profound about this. Matthew 5, 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When your emotions are running high, it's almost impossible to understand anything but that problem that's in front of you. There's, a, there's another verse, it's, uh, it's not up there, but um, it's uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 18, and it says, um, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, why is he saying this? Because when you're drunk, and this is why the church as a whole does not encourage drunkenness, but when you're drunk, the Holy Spirit cannot guide you. You can't hear from the Holy Spirit. You are controlled by alcohol and whatever emotion you are having. That's, that's what it is. And it's the same with when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you have a pure heart, when you have clarity in your heart and your mind, you will be able to know God's will for your life, to make peace with your past without dragging you down. You have to own your peace of the past. Resolve your past by owning it, by recognizing it, by admitting it, by bringing it front and center that piece of the equation that was your fault. It may not all have been your fault. As, as a part-time kind of counselor, we see it all the time. It's never really fully anybody's fault. It's almost always 50-50, right? Somebody's got this issue and somebody's got this, this issue. Or it's 25-75 or whatever it is. But there's always a part that somebody needs to own. And here's the thing, the more painful your story is, the less likely you will own it. You just got to you got to know that. The more painful it is, the less like the more extreme your story is, the less likely you're going to come to grips with your part. Everybody knows this, right? The, the bigger the more emotional your story is, the less likely you're going to pause to think about it because it's so painful. But you have to, regardless how small, how large it is, it's going to be drug around with you unless you deal with it. If you don't, it will undermine everything that you are trying to accomplish in life. Now, to make peace with your past, you've got to own that piece of the past. It's embarrassing, and that's the hard part, isn't it? The embarrassment, oh, the embarrassment is awful. It's emotional, it's difficult. And here's the thing, it's going to take the energy out of your victim story, right? When you start to say, well, yeah, I had this part to play, and you, but you can't tell your victim story and start to own it at the same time, right? You're no longer a victim, but your temperature will go down, you will gain clarity, you'll be able to see straight, God's going to be able to speak to you and you're going to hear him, and so if next time's going to be better than the last time, you've got to own that piece. Now, here's what I want to challenge us to do. The next two weeks are going to be a lot better, all right? All right? And the combination of a small service and, and, uh, and, and this topic is tough. But the next week, we're going to talk about how to rethink it. And then what happens when the other person has a serious part to play in that problem? What do you do? We're going to talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about that. Here's what I want you to do. You need to go home and think about what you need to own. And then I want you to write it down. You're not bringing it back to me, okay? <laughs> Bring it back to me and I'll judge it and I'll write it and I'll pull out my red pen. No, no, no. I just want you to write it down. Because here's what happens. When you write it down and then something else will come to mind. Well, I, I, I did that and yeah, I guess that was part of it too. And so, yeah, and then, the, oh, that was, that was a big one. Oh, that is painful, right? Write it down, and then when something else comes to mind, write it down. And then when something else comes to mind, write it down. And the more you write, the more your temperature is going to come down. The temperature of, emo of your emotions, and your story is going to lose its energy. But 
you will be prepared for the next time. Don't smuggle your past into the future. Own it. Next time, it really can be better than the last time. Not because you want it to be, but because you plan for it to be. And you plan for it to be by owning it. Owning it. This is a game changer if you will take the time and think through the role that you played for your past. Make next time better than the last time. Father, this is hard. This is a hard message. And um, it's hard because we all have something that we're thinking about. Lord, when, when I heard this message the first time, I was thinking about multiple things in my life. And you know that, and you know that you're working in my heart. And so for each person here who's heard that, I pray that as hard as it is, we would go home and that we would turn to you and say, God, this is my role. I want to own it, and I want to change. I want your Holy Spirit to change my heart. So, Father, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, will move in us, change our thinking, give us pure hearts, just as your word says, give us clarity so that we can make the wise decisions, the decisions that will benefit us, that will benefit your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.